Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good to see each one of you here today. You know, you get that crispness in the air, and then you start seeing colors like this popping up, and, you know, it puts you in a certain mind, the mind of fall, the mind of autumn, and then you start thinking about that fall holiday that we celebrate, Thanksgiving, which will be here before you know it, and all of those things just contribute to a state of mind that you can say, thank you, Lord. Why don't you try saying it with me today? Thank you, Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Our call to worship this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. Jesus Christ, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to take your hymnals this morning, open to number 63, All Creatures of Our God and King. We'll sing the first, the fourth, and the last. If you're able and willing, stand together with me as we sing praises to the Lord. Number 63. All creatures of our God and King live. 
lift up your voice and with us sing. Alleluia, Alleluia, thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. On the fourth, and all ye men of tender heart, forgiving others, take your part. Oh, sing ye, Alleluia, ye who long pain and sorrow bear. Praise God and on him cast your care. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Let all things their Creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him, Alleluia. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. 160, more about Jesus. Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me, more, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be. Showing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. love who died for me. More about Jesus in his word, holding communion with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine. More, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus. died for me. More about Jesus on his throne, riches and glory all his own. More of his kingdom sure increase, more of his coming Prince of Peace. More, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus. Love who died for me.
thank you. You may be seated. Just a reminder, we are not passing hearts together as we seek the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, we are so thankful that you, the living God, the God who sees, the God who hears, has, have called us, called us to be your own. Through Jesus Christ, you've called us your own, your sons, your daughters, called us your people, and you've made your dwelling with us. How grateful we are. What a privilege, what an honor. Your grace is amazing. Your forgiveness, your goodness, your love, it staggers our minds. For we are so undeserving, so unworthy. You are good and you are gracious. And we give thanks to you. Father, we want to lift up this morning the names that have been mentioned, the concerns that have been mentioned here in our hearing. Uh, we think of Mike, the, the man who sustained severe injuries, including a broken neck in that wreck. We pray for his recovery, for his healing. Uh, we pray for, for Terry's health as well, the test that has been postponed. We pray that you will continue to uh, superintend and see to the complete recovery, the complete healing, and give her peace about the matter. We pray for her travel out to Arizona and the time that she'll be out there on the job. Please protect her, protect the people that she works with, give her safe travel, and we pray that you bring her back safely to us and that during this time, that it might be a time that you do feed her and cause her to grow in her faith, even though she's apart from us. Uh, Father, we lift up the, the man who had the stroke, Dave, that, that Kim has reminded us of. We pray for his recovery, for his health, for his healing. We pray for the family as they, as they try to deal with this difficult situation, as they have an important occasion coming up very soon. We pray that you would work in all of their lives and that you would bring peace, that you would bring comfort and work out your perfect will for each one of them. Uh, Father, we pray for our brother Joe. Uh, coming up this Thursday, Father, you know the situation. We're looking for good news. We're looking for a clean bill of health. And we pray that you would uh, work in his life and work with the doctors and, and those who are checking up on him. We pray for good news. Father, we, uh, we also pray for Martha, yeah, for good news for her on Thursday, that she might find the, the path of, of treatment and the path of healing and strengthening and recovering, that she might might see your will worked out in her life, that she might trust you, uh, that you might uh, give her peace. We also pray for Dawn as well, who's experiencing health problems, and we pray for him. We pray for his healing. We pray for, for strengthening for him. Uh, we remember all of those who've been affected by various disasters around the nation, whether it be wildfires or floods or tornadoes, hurricanes, all of the disaster that many people are feeling the effects of, we pray for them, and we pray for their well-being. Father, we pray for all men, all men, all women, all boys and girls, that they might come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for our leaders especially who need wisdom and guidance. We pray that you would provide them with wisdom to lead and govern in ways that are right and just. We pray for their salvation, Father. We pray for the people that we might live quiet lives in peace, that we might be able to worship in peace and in freedom. 
Father, we pray for our chapel that you would, that you would find us to be faithful and empower us to be good witnesses of the gospel in this community, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. And we pray for our nation that it would, that the hearts of the people would be turned back to you, that we might forsake sin and we might seek after righteousness and find it in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, all these things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Take your hymnals one last time. You may remain seated as we sing number 566. I am resolved, and I think we're just going to do one verse because I know we got to get you out the door. Number 566, I am resolved. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to... Open up your scriptures today to Hebrews chapter 5. It's the passage that we read in our call to worship today. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. A couple interesting stories that I came across. Many years ago, in the days of of large steamships that would take passengers across the Atlantic from America to Europe, there was a man who bought a ticket. He bought a ticket for passage across the Atlantic. He got on the ship, went to his stateroom, and put all of his stuff away. Every evening on the ship, in the grand dining hall of the ship, people would gather for the evening meal. Well, this man never went. He never attended the dinner. Instead, he stayed in his stateroom and he ate food out of tin cans that he had brought with him. He brought enough food, just enough, to give him a little bit to eat to get him through the entire trip. He never went to the dining room to eat because he figured he didn't have enough money for that sort of thing. Well, as they neared the conclusion of the voyage... The captain, who had always made a habit of visiting the dining room and going from table to table, getting to know all of the guests, becoming acquainted with them, asking them about their trip so far. Well, the captain came across this man up on the deck. And he says to him, Sir, I've seen you around, but never once have I seen you in the dining hall. I, I like to talk to my, my guests on the voyage. I like to get to know about them, where they're from. I never have seen you at dinner. Why is that? And the man says, well, I didn't have enough money, uh, so I just brought my food with me. I eat in my stateroom. And the captain says, 
My goodness, man, the price of the dinner is included in the price of the ticket. You could have eaten dinner with us every single night. You already paid for it. This man missed out because he was lacking the knowledge that he needed. I I read a story about a, a woman who missed out. There was an elderly woman who had spent many, many years in the employ of a wealthy man. She was the housekeeper. And when he died, he left something to her. He left her a pretty little piece of paper with fancy writing on it. Now, she was illiterate. She was unable to read it. But she thought it looked so pretty and it was such a touching memento from this man that she had served faithfully for so many years. She took the little money that she had and she had it framed and she put it up on her wall. Years had gone by and a minister was visiting her in, his, in, in her home and he noticed this framed piece of paper on the wall and he stepped closer to inspect it and he said, my goodness lady, what have you done? And she says, she explained the story where she got this and and why it was important to her. And he said, this is a check. It was a check written out for a very large sum of money. If she had banked the check, there would have been more than enough money for her to live comfortably all of her days. There would have been enough money for her grandchildren to live comfortably all of their days. But because she lacked knowledge, to her it was just a pretty piece of paper with fancy writing something to hang on the wall as a memento. She missed out because of lack of knowledge. Here in Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to encounter a group of people that we've encountered all the way through who lack knowledge. And their lack of knowledge is going to cause them to miss out if they're not careful. But even much more than missing out, there is great peril. There is great risk. There is great danger for them, great spiritual danger. And we're going to look at that today and see these Jewish Christians who have believed on the Lord Jesus. We're in Hebrews chapter 5, and we're beginning, well, we'll begin in verse 10. The Apostle Paul has explained that Jesus Christ has been called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And he says, this this character Melchizedek, we have much to say about him, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. He says these Jewish believers had become dull of hearing. Not that they had always been dull of hearing, but they had become dull of hearing. Let's see what else he says about them. Starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. He isn't saying here that everyone should be a public teacher or preacher, but he is using a figure of speech here. He's saying, you people have reached the point where by now you ought to be teachers, and instead you're kindergartners. You still need someone to teach you the first principles principles of the oracles of God, the oracles of God, the sayings of God, the word of God. You still need to learn your ABCs and one, two, threes about God's word. After all these years, you should be more advanced than that. You have come to need milk and not solid food. Come to need milk and not solid food. Milk is for babies. 
We give them formula. We give them milk. And then we gradually move them up onto soft food, baby food. And then after a time, we start introducing pieces of solid food to them as they mature, as they get older. And the Apostle Paul is saying, here you've come all this way, but I'm not seeing the growth. I'm not seeing the development, the maturity. Instead, you're back on formula again. How can this be? Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. I believe word of righteousness here is just talking about the word of God, the gospel, the things that we learn about Jesus Christ in God's word, the word of righteousness. He says, if anyone needs milk, it's because they're unskilled. They don't have skill in reading and understanding the deep things about Jesus Christ that we find in the Word of God. They're babies. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who are mature. Those who by reason of use, by practice, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We have twin granddaughters. And they just turned three years old. Now, when they came along, we had to learn very quickly how to baby-proof a house. Now, we had been through that with our own kids, but time goes by, and you forget, and you have to go back, and you have to baby-proof. The twins are coming over. Quick, pick up all the Nerf darts off the floor. Pick up all the little things, because you know what babies do. Babies don't know if something's good or bad to put in their mouth. They see something on the floor where they're sitting or playing. They reach out and grab it. Where does it go? The first thing, right into the mouth. And then you're pulling it back out of their mouth to keep them from choking. They just don't understand. They aren't practiced. They aren't able to discern, to tell the difference between what is good and healthy to put into your mouth and what isn't. That's how it is with babies. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here with with you Jewish believers that I'm, I'm talking to. You ought to be practiced. You ought to be able to discern good from bad. If someone comes along and teaches you, you ought to be able to tell, is this guy teaching what's good from God's word? Or is this guy teaching something that's false? Is he twisting God's word for his own purposes? You ought to be able to tell the difference, but you can't. You're babies. I have to feed you with milk. I can't give you solid food. Look at some of the things that he uses to describe this immature understanding here in these first few verses. He says they're hard to teach. I I, want to teach you the deeper things about Christ. I want to teach you about this guy named Melchizedek and how he is a picture for us of Jesus' priesthood. I want to teach you about that, but ah, I don't even know where to start. You're hard to teach. It's, It's like the algebra teacher who wants to teach quadratic equations and he finds out that his students haven't learned their times tables yet. And he pulls his hair out and he says, where do I begin? You don't know the basic things that I need you to know in order to teach you the deeper things. You're hard to teach. He says you've become dull of hearing. You're kindergartners when you, by this time, ought to be teachers. You're still on milk. You're not on solid food. You're unskilled in the word of righteousness. You're babies. Boy, that's quite an assessment, isn't it? 
We don't know exactly all of the reasons why the apostle said these things. We don't know these people. We weren't there. We don't know what sort of things were lacking for sure in their spiritual understanding that put them in this immature condition that the apostle said, I'm really finding it hard to teach you people. But I think we can make some pretty good guesses, some really solid guesses about what was lacking. And we can make these guesses by looking at the first five chapters, looking at what Paul has been teaching them up to this point. We ask a question, how perhaps did these Jewish Christians display an immature understanding? Well, up to this point, Paul has spent a considerable amount of time explaining the concept of Christ, that is, Messiah, to them. He's been explaining the concept of Christ to them. Now, in that first century world, Jewish people were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a Christ, and they had a certain picture in their mind. They saw that Christ was going to be a conquering hero. He would be a warrior, and they were expecting that a Messiah would emerge who would rally the troops, so to speak, and would lead a revolt against the Roman Empire and would cast off their shackles and their oppression and would lead the people of Israel into a glorious future where he would set up a throne, a physical throne, in a physical Jerusalem, and he would rule and reign the nations of the world from there. And of course, they would share in all of that glory. This was a very common idea amongst the Jewish people of that day. It was so common that they had a very difficult time understanding what Christ was really all about. Even Jesus' own apostles had a difficult time understanding. There was one occasion where Jesus and his apostles were going through Samaria. Now, this was kind of like enemy territory. The Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. They're going through, and some of the Samaritan people, they rejected Jesus and rejected his, ma- his message. And uh, James and John, two of Jesus' apostles, they said, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire out of heaven and burn all of these people up? What? And Jesus says, do you really have no idea what kind of spirit that you have. You just don't get it. This Messiah, this Christ, this Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, not to burn people up. They didn't understand that. They couldn't get that. And, and even whenever they finally began to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, you remember when Jesus asked them, he said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some of you say that you're uh, Jeremiah or Elijah, one of the prophets. Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus blessed him. He said, this is wonderful. My father has revealed this to you. But then, just a short time later, Jesus begins to teach his apostles that as the Christ, he was going to have to go to Jerusalem, be rejected by the elders, be rejected by the people. He would have to be arrested and beaten and shamefully abused and ultimately be crucified, dead, buried. And then he said, and on the third day, I'll rise again. 
And Peter pulled Jesus aside and says, you've got to stop talking like this. That's not what the Messiah is all about. Here, let, let, me, let me tell you, Jesus, that's not what the Christ is here to do. The Christ is here to be a conquering hero, right? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things of God. You only appreciate the things of men. The Jews were expecting a very different kind of Messiah, a very different kind of Christ. And it seems to me that the Apostle Paul has spent these first several chapters of the book of Hebrews trying to help the people understand who Christ really is. It begins in the first verses of the first chapter where he says, in times past, God spoke through prophets. He spoke in various ways at various times. But in these last days of the old covenant, God has spoken through his son. And then he goes on to talk about his son. What he's like. He's the express image of his person. He's the fullness of his glory. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. They're one and the same. Paul opens up to them who the Son is. He's God in the flesh. This is who the Messiah is. He's the Son of God. Uh, then he goes on to show that the Messiah is greater than the angels. You know, these first century Jews, they had a lot of mystical ideas about angels, a lot of different angel names, and the names meant this, and they counted up the numbers, and they looked for special codes that were hidden in the scriptures that they believed were there, and they had a very mystical system of understanding the scriptures and the angels and these higher authorities, and these first century Jews knew that the Messiah was important, but in, in the grand scope of all of these things, they would have put the angels up here and then they would have put the Messiah down here somewhere. And so Paul goes through the first two chapters of Hebrews and he shows how the Messiah isn't down here. The Messiah is up here. He's over everything. He's higher than the angels. He's greater than the angels. And then the Jews of that time would have said, well then, why did he have a human body? Why did he have flesh? Doesn't that make him lower than the angels? And Paul says, well, no, he had to be a human so that he could identify with us. So he could be a compassionate and faithful high priest to bring us to God. But that doesn't mean that he holds a lower place than the angels. He's exalted above the angels. And Paul takes them through Old Testament scriptures that show that the Messiah is the Son of God and that he's greater than the angels. But he doesn't stop there. In chapter 3, we saw that the Apostle Paul showed that the Messiah is actually greater than Moses. Oh, they revered Moses because Moses is the one who gave them the law. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the Old Covenant. Everything that they knew about being a Jew, they learned it from Moses. So they put Moses on a very high pedestal. And maybe they would have thought that the Messiah comes down here somewhere. And Paul shows them from the Old Testament scriptures, oh no, the Messiah is greater than Moses because Moses was a servant in God's house. But the Messiah, the Christ, he built the house. And he's the son who is in charge of the house. He's greater than Moses and he is the great high priest that has been appointed by God to bring us to him. Paul has been teaching them about this person of the Christ, the Messiah. Maybe these Jewish Christians had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but it seems they didn't fully understand 
what was meant by that? What does it mean to be the Messiah? Paul has been unpacking that for them. It's as if they were trying to figure out how the character of the Christ fit into the system of God. Where do I file this at? Messiah, where do I file that? How does that fit into God's overall system? And Paul's point is, Messiah is the system. He's not something that you file into the system. He is the system. He is everything. You don't need to figure out where he fits because he's over it all. He built the system. He is the son over the house who built the house. Christ didn't just fit into God's plan. Christ was God's plan. And he remains God's plan. There's not another plan coming. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was God's plan. And it wasn't a new idea. Christ had always been God's plan. And now, 2,000 years later, in our present day, there's not going to be another plan. Christ is God's plan. He doesn't fit into the system. He is the system. He is the Word of God made flesh. John chapter 1 talks about in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. You're familiar with that passage. That Word, Word, it's an interesting Word. It doesn't mean what we think it means. It's a Greek word called logos. And Yes, we can translate it as word, but there's a whole lot wrapped up in that idea, this Greek idea of logos. A logos is an ordering principle which brings meaning to everything. Jesus Christ, the word of God, the logos of God, is that ordering, unifying principle that brings meaning and understanding to everything. Jesus Christ the word of God made flesh, greater than the angels because he is the son. Because he's the son, he's greater than Moses. Moses was a servant in God's house. Christ built the house, appointed a high priest by God after the order of Melchizedek. So the second question we come to, if Paul has been trying to correct this immature understanding of these Jewish believers who have believed that Jesus is the Christ, but they don't really understand what all is wrapped up in that, and they're trying to figure out how to fit Christ into the system. If Paul's been working to correct that deficient understanding, the next question is, how did an immature understanding pose a real and present danger to these Jewish Christians? Paul was very concerned about them. In chapters 3 and 4, Paul tells them that the Holy Spirit was warning them. Warning them of the danger of apostasy. The word means to fall back or to fall away, to desert, to defect, to rebel, to step away from. Paul, in chapters 3 and 4, told them that they were in danger of apostasy, that they were in danger of falling away from Christ. How could that be? Here in chapter 6, we're going to be looking at it next week, but in verses 4 through 8, that warning about apostasy comes up again. And the reason why we're not tackling verses 4 through 8 is because it's a very thorny passage that has caused a lot of 
a lot of worry for a lot of Christians throughout the years. And I don't want you to worry about it this week. We'll be looking at it next week, and you'll see that there isn't anything to worry about. But there is a warning, a warning about falling away from Christ. So how were these Christians in danger of falling away from Christ? Well, their inadequate, deficient understanding of Christ put them in a position of peril. Imagine that you are a first century Jewish Christian. If I don't recognize that God has spoken through his son, I might be tempted to think of Jesus' ministry as just one among many prophets and teachers. Like that rich young ruler who said to Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus said, do you really understand what you're saying when you call me good? Do you have a full appreciation of what's wrapped up in that? Because only God is good. Do you understand who I am? We might be tempted like that rich young ruler to think of Jesus as just another teacher. We might think of him as just another prophet. And if we look at him that way, we might be susceptible to false teachers who come with new prophecies and new messages. That's the danger that they were in. But there's more. If I don't recognize the eternality, the eternal sonship of Jesus, I might be tempted to, might be tempted to uh, listen to various Jewish mystic, mystical teachings regarding angels. This was a real problem among first century Jews. They would listen to these mystical teachings they would miss the Savior himself, Jesus Christ. If I don't recognize that Christ's humanity was so that he could be a faithful, compassionate high priest, I might be tempted to think of him as merely a human leader. That's what so many Jews were looking for, a military leader who would lead them to victory. I would miss Jesus for who he is. If I don't recognize him as the son who is over the house of God, greater than the servant Moses who is faithful in God's house, if I don't recognize him as the one who built the house, the one who's over it all, if I'm trying to file him into the system instead of seeing him as the system, then I might be tempted to go back to the old covenant worship. I might be tempted to go back to the temple. I might be tempted to offer sacrifices with the priests that are there. If I don't recognize that God has appointed a high priest for me, and that high priest is Jesus, I might be tempted to go back to the old rituals, which could only ever point the way to Jesus. Okay, that was them. And that was then. What about us today? How does any of that intersect with us? Because obviously we are not first century Jewish Christians, are we? No, we're not. So does any of this have any meaning for us today? I believe it does. It has a lot of meaning. If I don't have a mature understanding of who Christ is, I may fall away. I may be tempted to see him as a way among many ways. I know you've heard people suggest that before. They say, oh, Christianity's fine. Jesus, that, that's a good way to go. There's other ways too, but that's a good one. But Jesus isn't a way among many ways. He is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He is the way, the only way. 
If I don't have a mature understanding of who Christ is, I may be tempted to be seduced by various mystical teachings. And there's a lot of them out there. A lot of them that hold a promise of deeper, secret knowledge and understanding. Hidden codes, names of angels, crystals, new prophecies, dreams, visions, superstitions. It's a dime a dozen. They're all over the place. Just go through YouTube. You'll find them. I might be tempted to be seduced by those false teachings if I don't have a mature understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I might be tempted to seek an intercessor other than Christ. An intercessor is someone who speaks to someone else for you. You say, Pastor, I need you to talk to my friend for me. Okay, I'll be your intercessor, right? Jesus is our intercessor. He is our great high priest who speaks to God the Father. We go through him. If I don't understand that he's my high priest, if I don't understand because I've got a deficient understanding of who Christ is, I might be tempted to pray to a saint. I might be tempted to pray to a statue. I might be tempted to think that I need to go talk to a human being and have him talk to God for me. And we don't need any of that. We have access to God the Father himself through Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. As wonderful as our brothers and sisters, the saints of long ago are, as much as we love them, we don't need them to talk to God for us. We talk to God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. If my understanding is deficient, I may be tempted to turn to a dead system that promises enlightenment and holiness. I don't need a system. I need a savior. I need Jesus. Anything that pulls you away from the person of Jesus and puts you into a system where you can check the boxes and do this and do that and do the other thing, it's a dead end. It's a dead system filled with dead works that will not bring you one inch closer to God. You can't get any closer than the closeness that God has brought you. He's brought you to draw near to him through Jesus Christ, his son, our savior and our great high priest. So I want to encourage you today, grow in your understanding of Christ. Learn more about him. Learn from the scriptures. Read the scriptures and ask questions you will find things that you don't understand. Ask questions. Learn. Grow. Uh, I sent a text message out to a young man yesterday. I, I said to him, this is a really random question. But I would like to know, are there any scriptures or any passages in the scriptures, any verses that are difficult for you? Anything that you find to be troubling or you have a hard time reconciling it and making it line up with the rest of what scripture teaches. Is there anything like that? I would like to know. I'll be the first one to admit there are things in the scriptures that are difficult for me that I have a difficult time reconciling and understanding. But I will say this, there are fewer today for me than there were five years ago. I've been growing, I've been learning, I've not arrived probably never will on this side of glory. But I'm learning. 
And I want you to learn to ask the questions. Don't be thrown off by them. Go to mature Christians that you can trust, that you know have spent years in the Word and might be able to help you. And they might say to you, I don't know either, but let's study it more together. Grow in your understanding of Christ because that is the thing that's going to protect you from falling away. Apostasy. It's a real danger for every Christian who's ever lived. We must remain faithful to the Lord Jesus and not fall away, growing your understanding. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, which is sufficient for us to grow up to full maturity. We don't need to be babies on milk for the rest of our lives. We can move on to solid food. We can grow in our understanding of your son, Jesus, and who he is and what he has done and what it means in our day-to-day lives. We thank you that we have a savior. We thank you that we have a high priest through whom we can draw near to you. We don't need any living man. We don't need any departed saint. We don't need any practice or ritual or system. We have a savior. We have a high priest. And we are ever so thankful that you've provided Jesus for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.